The United Nations has released its annual world population report, and the numbers are alarming. There are now about 7.4 billion people living on planet Earth, a growth of 1.1% from 2015, with a large rise in young people. This sets up potential challenges to social and political systems around the world. As our global population increases, so does our appetite for food. The cost of that appetite is threatening our very existence, and our demand for meat is so big, it's not only leading to the slaughter of billions of animals every year, it's slowly killing our planet. This episode, we meet with author and activist Nathan Runkle, who's fighting for both the animal's survival and our own. This is an issue that goes far beyond animal protection and really does get to the heart of just having a sustainable and livable future for our own species. And I, I really do think that innovation in this food space is what will save us. But there is hope. One of the latest tech booms is around the quest to produce meat without killing any animals. It goes by the name Clean Meat and is literally growing meat at a cellular level in a science lab. From fillets of fish to meatballs, Clean Meat has potential to make our dinner without a single animal life lost. Have you tried some? I actually have had a very, very small piece of the world's first uh, clean meatball back in, in 2016. Um, and it had been 18 years since I had had real meat uh, from an animal, but I can tell you it certainly um, tasted uh, just as I remembered uh, traditional animal meat tasting. And as for our fresh vegetables, the systems behind that industry are ripe for improvement. No other than Kimball Musk, the brother of Elon, is bringing farming into the modern age. He's innovating the next agricultural revolution, with vertical farms inside shipping containers in the middle of Brooklyn, producing tonnes of fresh fruit and veg all year round, using a fraction of the energy, cash and space. We built 10 of these farms, literally in old used shipping containers, each indoor farm is the equivalent of two acres of outdoor farming. My name is Tommy McCubbin, dad, podcaster, speaker and creative director. And this is Future Sandwich, episode 17, Food of the Future, where we look at how we have an appetite bigger than our planet can serve and meet the people who are trying to hack our diets to literally save the planet. Part 1. City Farms It wasn't that long ago everyone worked on a farm. Then came the industrial revolutions and the lure of working 9 to 5 on the factory floor drew over 95% of us into the cities. Now even trying to find people to farm the land is a problem. This is Kimball Musk, brother of Elon. And unlike Elon, who juggles creating electric supercars, powering the world with solar and hatching a plan to colonise Mars, Kimball has one simple mission. Make real food closer to us all. From the moment our food is picked from the earth, its nutrients begin to fade. By the time it travels thousands of kilometres to the stores, it's lost a lot of its nutritional benefits. The other problem Kimball highlights is the lack of interest in farming the land and living a remote lifestyle. His solution is putting shipping containers in cities where people can farm in their neighbourhoods and take food from container to plate instantly. And with climate control inside, the vertical farms can garner fruit and vegetables all year round. This is Margaret. Margaret is a typical American farmer in the industrial food system. She lives in Iowa, and she's in her 80s. 60% of American farmers in Iowa are over the age of 77. 
her, people like her kids, people like her grandkids, don't want to farm on Margaret's farm. They don't want her farm. No one wants to farm corn for ethanol. And so I went looking for farmers. I went looking for the young farmers in America. And I found them. I found them in the cities. Young farmers are in our cities, but they don't have land to farm. So we built something called Square Roots, which is an indoor urban farm platform that gives young farmers a farm in Brooklyn. We built 10 of these farms, literally in old used shipping containers. Each indoor farm is the equivalent of two acres of outdoor farming. In our, in our first campus of 10 farms, we got 500 applications to be a young farmer. The future of American farming is bright. Then we looked into our cities to educate our young, our, our kids about real food so that they could be empowered to make better real food decisions throughout their life. Traditional school gardens are built about two a year. We changed the idea of a school garden with the invention of the learning garden. It's modular, it's like Lego blocks, it's fun, it's easy to teach in, it's easy to build, it's easy to maintain. Principals love them. And now we build over 100 per year. And since we've started, we've built 450 learning gardens across the US, 150 in Chicago alone. Imagine the chats at the Musk Christmas party. The full interview and talk with Kimball are in the show notes at futuresandwich.com. Part two, preservative hacks. There is so much innovation happening in food, there is no way I can fit it all in an episode. Thankfully, Wired Magazine's Rebecca Hoovel published an article, No Refrigeration Necessary, New Tech for an Everlasting Shelf Life, that conveniently lists a handful of fascinating and kind of scary technologies pushing the use-by date of our food. From microwave sterilisation to blasts of plasma, here's our editor, Maddie Thompson, and the most futuristic ways science is keeping food fresh for longer. Blue Blast. Best for berries, nuts. Scientists at Scotland's University of Strathclyde pioneered a technique that bombards fluids with high-intensity blue light, which produces a form of oxygen that's lethal to pathogens. It's now being adapted for use on berries and other foods. Radio waves. Best for eggs. The United States Department of Agriculture has developed a machine for eliminating salmonella in fresh eggs. Electrodes pulse radio frequency waves through the shells, targeting the space between the white and yolk where salmonella dwells. Plasma cloud. Best for fruits and vegetables, seeds and salads. Put the food on a conveyor belt, blast it with cold plasma and voila. A mixture of nitrous oxide, hydrogen peroxide and other molecules lay waste to bacteria. Micro-rays. Best for frittatas, mac and cheese, salmon. With microwave-assisted thermal sterilisation, packaged food cooks inside a pressurised tube, while focused microwave energy kills microorganisms in minutes. Amazon Fresh is reportedly interested. Germ warfare. Best for salad and berries. Think of this as probiotics for plants. Scientists douse fruits and vegetables in a solution containing good bugs, like bacteriophages, that kill bad bugs, like salmonella or listeria. General Mills and Pillsbury have both explored the tech. Atomic bomb. Best for meat, fruits and vegetables, spices. High energy electrons. Yeah, radiation. 
a shot into food, beating bacteria by breaking up their DNA. It kills bacteria, but not aroma, says Cornell University food science professor Carmen Moraru. The full article is available in the show notes at futuresandwich.com. Part 3. The Cost of Meat Our special guest this episode is author and animal advocate Nathan Runkle. He leads the global organisation Mercy for Animals and has an acclaimed book with the same name. You may have heard of clean meat, but Nathan has actually tasted it. He is the guy to talk to about how big and dangerous the world's appetite is, both for animals and ultimately our own planet. I'm the founder and president of Mercy for Animals, and we're an international organisation that's dedicated to preventing cruelty to farmed animals and promoting compassionate food choices and policies. When most people think about animals in our society, they think about dogs and cats or perhaps wildlife like elephants or tigers. But the truth is, is that the vast majority of animals who are killed and exploited at the hands of humans are farmed animals. So cows, pigs, chickens, We're talking about 9 billion of these animals raised and killed in the United States every year. That's over 300 a second. If we look at a global level, we're talking about tens of billions of animals. And once we include fish, we're talking about trillions. But the truth is, is of course, these animals have the same personalities, minds, interests. They have bonds with their families. They experience companionship and love in the very same way that dogs and cats do, and we believe that they deserve the same type of protection. However, the truth is very different from that. These are animals that have very little to no legal protection. They are crammed in cages where they can't turn around or even lie down comfortably in most situations. They're mutilated without painkillers, and many of them have their throats level fully conscious at slaughterhouses. So Mercy for Animals works to give these animals a much-needed voice Obviously, being vegetarian and, and, and vegan even has become completely mainstream over the past sort of couple of decades. Has that made a dent in the demand of meat globally, or is we still eating more meat? Yeah, well, you're right. There absolutely is a, a cultural shift that we are seeing in, in many countries towards a plant-based diet, especially with young people and millennials. There's a recent study done that found that 1% of baby boomers identify as vegetarian, 4% of Gen Xers, but a whopping 12% of millennials. So it's very clear the trajectory um, of diet change. However, we also live at a time where developing countries are looking to the West and emulating the traditional heavily meat-based diet. And with that, we are seeing globally a rise in the number of animals that are being raised on factory farms uh, and in slaughterhouses. And in fact, as we race towards a global human population of nearly 10 billion by 2050, the estimate is that global meat consumption and production will also double by 2050. And of course, this is not only uh, just a horrible situation for animals uh, who who suffer in, in such terrible ways, but it's really not something that will be sustainable for our planet. We have the United Nations saying that 
animal agriculture contributes to more greenhouse gas emissions than the entire transportation sector combined. The Alliance of Global Scientists recently, uh, which consists of 15,000 scientists from an, over 180 countries, saying that to save our planet, one of the actions that we must take is to move towards a plant-based diet. So this is an issue that goes far beyond animal protection and really does get to the heart of just having a sustainable and livable future for our own species. And so how are we going to avoid this catastrophe? What sort of technologies have we got to essentially quench our hunger for meat without needing to farm um, animals? Well, that's a great question. And I, I really do think that innovation in this food space is what will save us and is what is really necessary. And as you talk about um, on, on, on this podcast so often, technology has the ability to, in a very short period of time, uh, just completely flip industries as we're seeing with, uh, with, with green energy and sustainable energy now. If you think about other uh, changes that have affected animals, I mean, you can look 100 years ago at our transportation system and how horses were oftentimes abused uh, through to, to haul um, heavy loads for long distances. The invention of the Model T completely eradicated that in most ways. If you look at whaling uh, across the globe, how the invention of, of better oils and uh, came to market that essentially wiped out much of that. I think that animal agriculture is a really ripe for the same type of disruption because it is so outdated and inefficient. So what are we seeing in that space? Well, it really falls in two categories. One is we're seeing a rise of plant-based meat and egg alternatives and even dairy alternatives. And this is essentially using plants to make these products. And we're already seeing a lot of that with dairy alternatives, which are in the United States at least now taking up over 6% of the market. But the plant-based market in the United States, for example, is still at less than 1% of the market compared to, to traditional animal meats. But we're seeing um, products like the Impossible Burger that is, is made out of primarily gluten, but it does have vegan heme, uh, what is found in blood that is made from yeast that gives it that same mouthfeel and taste that uh, traditional animal products have. We see companies like Hampton Creek Foods that are developing mayonnaise and eggs uh, made completely out of plants. They're in fact going through tens of thousands of plants that have never been studied to find out which ones act in the same way as animal products do, such as eggs, as binding and gelling agents, and they're creating an open source database that can be used. And the benefits to this, of course, are not just for animals, but just a few years ago, there was a huge spread of avian influenza that wiped out a huge portion of the chicken flocks uh, in the United States, and it caused just havoc for the baking industry and the food industry. Plant-based alternatives are not only cholesterol-free and better for our health, but are far more sustainable and not as susceptible to things like avian influenza. The other exciting thing that's happening in the food space is with clean meat. And this is real meat that is grown outside of an animal. So essentially taking a harmless biopsy, taking a stem cell, in this case uh, muscle stem cells, growing it in a suitable medium, 
in a bioreactor like a brewery and uh, and scaffolding and growing uh, meat that can then be consumed directly. And we're seeing a number of companies pop up in this space. Memphis Meats is one of the premier companies. Hampton Creek is also getting into the space. Finless Foods, which is working on fish products. And what's really exciting about this is that new studies show that it takes about 50% less energy to produce these clean meat products, that they produce over 90% less greenhouse gas emissions, require 90% less land and 90% less water to produce. And in fact, this space of plant-based meat and clean meat are attracting the attention of investors such as Bill Gates, Sergey Brin, Richard Branson, uh, really forward-thinking individuals who see this not only as a way of solving the environmental and ethical concerns of our food supply, but something that that really has the potential to uh, be a, a very wise investment decision as well. We don't need to wait for clean meat to come to the market to start making changes in our everyday lives to help animals and to ease the strain on our environment. You know, we can already begin to shift towards a plant-based diet, uh, and there are so many resources available on doing that. In terms of supporting the businesses and the organizations helping to accelerate uh, clean meat, uh, people can support Mercy for Animals. They can go to mercyforanimals.org. They can also support the Good Food Institute, which I'm a co-founder of, which works exclusively on supporting innovation in the food space. And they can find the Good Food Institute at gfi.org and can sign up um, to become involved. There were moments in researching this episode where I felt physically sick. The size of the problem is overwhelming. The slaying of trillions of animals is not only brutal, but it's also threatening the very existence of our species. Thankfully, progress is happening, and people are trying to solve it, and the solution is there, we just need to scale it. Although clean meat hasn't hit our shelves yet, with the brain power and capital that's behind it, I'm confident we'll be eating a clean meat barbecue sooner than we think. Until then, all we can do is be aware of the impact our meat eating is having, and take a moment to consider the implications before we buy. Big thank you to Kimball Musk, All the links to find out more about him and his farms are in the show notes. And also, Nathan Runkle, it was a pleasure to hear your story and mission. All the notes are there too to connect with Nathan. And most importantly, Maddie Thompson for editing This Like a Boss. And head to futuresandwich.com to connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, yada yada. So I've got an exciting update. Since starting the show in 2016, I've had dozens of listeners ask me to come and talk to their business about trends impacting their company and their industry's future. Now I've teamed up with Future Sandwich favourite, author and futurist Steve Sammartino to bring you Future Sandwich sessions. They're innovation workshops designed to change the trajectory of your business. Each session covers three parts. The first, we explore different trends directly and indirectly affecting your industry. Then second, we'll highlight the problems that will inevitably arise. And third, we work up ideas to tackle those problems with a plan and prototype to go and sell. So get in touch at futuresandwich.com for more on that. That's the end of episode 17, Food for the Future. I'll see you next time.